Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Good morning, everybody. So good to worship with you this morning. I want to ask you, how many of you would say that you have a godly mentor in your life? How many of you would say that you are a mentor in your life to someone else? I think that's really crucial. When I talk to people all the time, the number one thing people ask me is they say, man, I'd love to have a mentor in my life. I'd love to have someone who's pouring into me, who I could go to with, when life throws me a curveball, when I have a spiritual question, when I need to make a tough life decision. I'd love to have a person that I knew was led by the Spirit, that was wise, that I could just go to in, in that time. And I talk to other people, you know, they say, you know, I'd love to be that for someone else. I'd love someone to be able to call me when, I have, when they have a question, when they're going through something hard, I'd love to be that for someone else. I'd love for them to be able to come to me with their questions. Come to me when they need something. And so I could pour into their life. And we're in a series based on the book of 2 Timothy. And I think one of the main takeaways from this book is the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Paul was Timothy's mentor. He was his spiritual father. And Timothy was like a sponge to Paul. You can sense it in this book. I can just imagine Timothy reading this book, this letter that his mentor, that his spiritual father wrote to him and just eating it up. And Paul knew something. Paul knew that he would not be around forever. He was in prison writing this letter. He knew his time was coming soon, and he wanted to pour out the intimate relationship that he had with him and the Heavenly Father, the wisdom that God gave him. He wanted to pour it into Timothy so it would not die with him. He taught him so many things, and as you read through this, you realize how important it is to have a Paul in your life, and how important it is to have a Timothy in your life. And I think that's something we need to all think about, is who is our Paul and who is our Timothy that we're pouring into or getting some advice from? So let's turn into our Bibles, if you have them, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, As always, we'll have the, the scripture behind us as well. And before, as people are turning there and getting there, I just wanna, I just want to say, if you're looking for that mentor, if you're looking for someone that you can gain that wisdom from, we are launching our new semester of life groups right now. It's never been a better time to join a group, get a mentor, get around some people that you can grow spiritually from, just like Paul and Timothy's relationship here. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul starts out with an encouraging statement. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Very encouraging. (laughs) Hey, Timothy, buckle up. You got a bumpy ride ahead of you. 
So that's a million dollar question. Was he talking about this period we're experiencing right now? When he said there will be terrible times in the last days, what did he mean? Was he talking about way down in the future or was he talking about what Timothy would experience soon? Well, if you want to know more about that, we're doing an end time series in September. Well, we'll dive into that a little bit more. But for the purpose of this message, I do want to let you know that Paul was talking about the end of the messianic age, but he was also talking about what was happening around him during this period. Don't forget the disciples, the apostles believed they were living in the last days. They believed Jesus could come back at any moment. They were seeing some horrific things happen right in front of them. In fact, he goes on to give 18 characteristics to Timothy of what you can expect people to be like in the last days. And these were things he was seeing or happening around him as well. Now, a lot of these things, these characteristics he says about people in the last days are self-explanatory, but there are a few that I want to dive into and give you a little deeper meaning. So let's keep reading. He says in verse 2, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful. Now, that word boastful is actually the word boaster in the Greek, and it means, get this, it's referred to as a quack doctor. A boaster wondered, this was a person who wandered about with medicines and spells boasting that he could cure anyone. We have, they have quack doctors back then and maybe a few quack doctors during the COVID season today. Just kidding. Too soon? All right, I won't go there. Won't go there. I love our medical workers. They're doing a great job on the front lines. 100% behind them. So he goes on to say that they're boastful, proud, abusive. People will be disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love. That, that, that word ungrateful, I, I just dug a little deeper into that word just to see what that meant. And I found that that word actually means ungrateful for the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. That was what that ungrateful means. It doesn't just mean ungrateful in life. It specifically refers to being ungrateful that a God loved you so much that, that he sent his son to die a horrific death on the cross. Goes on to say unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal. Now sometimes we just gloss over this word brutal. But when you look into that, it talks about people who hated Christianity so much that they would turn Christians into the authorities. Now, that might not mean a ton to us today, but back then... Back in Paul's time, it was, there was a big punishment for being a Christian. In fact, in the first and second century, Christians were burned alive. They were fed to lions. They were forced to fight each other to the death. They watched loved ones beaten and murdered simply for being a Christian. And so... The mo one of the most brutal things you could do is turn a Christian into the authorities because that meant they were going to be tortured and die. That's what Paul's talking about here is, is people are going to be brutal in that regard and that was happening during this time. Not lovers of the good, 
treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. That word, when you look it up in the Greek, having a form of godliness, that word form actually means, it's the, it's the Greek word morphosin, which means an outline or a semblance of godliness. So they, they look godly. They look spiritual. They look like they might have some wisdom to offer, but they don't understand the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power it has to change and transform life. They don't know that power. They don't understand that truth. And I was studying this, and I'm trying to figure out who Paul's talking about here. Because he, he describes this person, and it's so vivid in his description of, of who these people are. And so I started to look it up and, and do some research and try to figure out the people that Paul is talking about represent the people, it represents who Paul was before he found Christ. This is what Paul the apostle was before he had an encounter with Christ. He was the very person he just described. A form of godliness, but denying its power. He was considered brutal. Remember the stoning of Stephen? Just because he was a Christian, he stoned him to death. He was the one putting people in jail for Christianity. He's talking about the very clan of people that he was leading before he found Christ. And these people did not give up when Paul converted to Christianity. The Pharisees, the people who put Jesus on the cross, they did not just lay down once Paul converted to Christianity. No, a hatred rose up within this group against Paul because he was on their side and that he betrayed them and made them look foolish because they were the ones who put Jesus on the cross. They were the ones who were responsible for his death. And Paul's saying, these are the kind of people, they have a form of godliness, but they don't know the truth, and they are doing some messed up things. Beware, Timothy. You see, there was a group of people who followed Paul wherever he would go and preach. When he would preach the gospel, he'd go into a city, there would be signs, there would be wonders, there would be these most amazing things taking place, and people were coming to Christ in droves. People were converting to Christianity, thousands upon thousands of people. And Paul backed this up with powerful signs and wonders, and people just knelt right there at the cross, repented and gave their lives to Christ. After this would happen, there'd be a group of people, a sect of Jewish Pharisees that would come in behind Paul that were assigned to follow Paul wherever he went. They would come behind him and they would try to undo what he just did. They would tell the authorities that this guy is a quack doctor that he doesn't know what he's talking about. They would tell the people that the only reason he could perform signs and wonders was because he was led by the devil 
himself. It was demonic power. It was a false new religion. And listen to them because they are the religious leaders. They're the high priests. They're the Pharisees. They know the scriptures. They know what they're talking about. And so this group would come behind Paul and try to steal the seed that Paul sowed. And it worked a lot of times. It threw a lot of cities into uproars. And I'm convinced, and it's debatable, I'm not saying this is the word of God or anything. I'm convinced personally that the thorn in Paul's side was a person or a group of people. Because he says an enemy of Satan that's tormenting him. And I can just imagine everywhere Paul goes, he does all this work, he sees the Holy Spirit move and then people coming behind him undoing all the good that he did. These are the people that Paul's talking about here. The very person he was before he found Christ. He goes on to talk more about these false teachers and these leaders who deceive people. In verse 6 he says, they're the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Listen to this verse 7, which I think is such a key verse. Always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of truth. If that's not one of the most powerful statements for our time right now, we have more information than we've ever had at our fingertips. We're able to learn more, yet it's keeping us further from the truth. Wow, that's powerful. He goes on in verse 8, he says, Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far, because as in the case of those men, Janus and Jambres, their folly will be clear to everyone. So Paul references these two guys, Jonas and Jambres, and I didn't want to just blow over that because these men are not mentioned in the Old Testament. This is the first mention we see of them in the Bible. And these are two characters that are part of an Old Testament Jewish tradition, not part of the Bible, but they were supposed to be the Egyptians Uh, Egyptian magicians who withstood Moses and Aaron at the time. They worked for Pharaoh. So if you go back to Exodus 7, verse 10 and 11, the word of God says this. It says, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men. Janus and Jambres, these are the wise men. And sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Once again, Paul is pointing to people. He's talking about people who might even have a false power. Timothy, look out. There's going to be people who, one, they have a form of godliness but deny its power. But there's also going to be people who have some power, but they still don't know the truth of God's word. They don't know where it comes from. They oppose the truth. I want to go back to verse 7 and just stay there for one moment. 
I, I love verse 7, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of truth. Other versions say people are, who are always listening but never able to learn. Hearing but not doing. Listening to the word of God but not putting it into practice. Listening to false teachers but never learning the truth. And this is so relevant today because we live in an age of the worldwide internet. The world's never been smaller and we've never been able to access more information in any time period before. Did you know that 7% of all of the traffic on the entire World Wide Web before COVID hit was on YouTube. 7%, now you say that 7% doesn't mean a lot. When you talk about billions of people who are on the web every day, 7% becomes a huge number. After COVID, it turned to 15%. 15% of all the traffic on the World Wide Web is through YouTube. YouTube is a platform. Now, I'm not down on YouTube. Okay, I think a lot of people use YouTube to get the message of Christ out to a lot of people. I'm not saying YouTube in itself is bad. What I'm saying is this is where people are getting their information. It's a main source of information on YouTube. The problem is that anyone can claim to be an expert with zero credentials, and anyone can talk about anything they want to. And so people create a following on YouTube. People start to follow that person and believe what they say and change and live their lives according to this person that's influencing them. One of the biggest personalities in all of YouTube with the most followers, 105 million followers. Tell me who it is. Help me out over here. PewDiePie. I heard it over here. Thank you. PewDiePie. Guy by the name of PewDiePie has 105 million followers on YouTube. You know what he does? He plays video games and people watch him play. And he commentates as he does it. He has 105 million people and he has greater influence than the President of the United States on that group of people. We live in an era where if you're charismatic and you're a good marketer, you can get your message, whatever it is, into the hands of people. And the more people you get to follow you, the more money you make. People have become a resource. They've become a dollar sign. They've become a way to make money, to gain a following, and get your message heard. And like I said, this is not always a bad thing. There's so many Christians on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel. There's so many Christians on YouTube getting the good message of Christ out to the world. Praise God for it. But it also can be dangerous because people are always listening but never learning the truth. There was a guy, I was listening to a podcast someone sent me and um, it talked about how people 
go down rabbit holes on YouTube or on the internet. So when you're, the, the goal of YouTube or any social media platform really is to keep people watching as long as possible, right? YouTube makes more money the more people who are on their site watching and consuming the content on that site. Makes sense, they wanna keep people there. So every time you watch a video on YouTube, a suggested video comes up, right? Watch this one next, watch this one next, watch this one next. And it takes you down a rabbit hole of watching things. This is where people get in trouble. They falsely accuse people of being false teachers because someone said it on YouTube and they got down a rabbit hole that proved this guy was a false teacher even though he might not be a false teacher. Same way as the other, the other way. People get on these rabbit holes and they start getting deeper and deeper. I think YouTube, this is my personal opinion, is the reason the left and the right have gotten so far from each other politically. Because you get on a left-wing YouTube kick and you start going all the way down the rabbit hole. You get on a right-wing conservative kick and you're listening to some quack people too, guys, okay? The left isn't the only one who has a few people on YouTube we should not be listening to, okay? So you get down on the right side and it gets weird too, but they take you down a rabbit hole all the way to extremes. Like the alt-right, going all the way down, extremes. This happens to people all the time. In fact, I was, I was listening on this podcast. They had a story of a guy who dropped out of college. He was not a popular kid, never popular in high school, went to college, dropped out of college. He went home, lived in the house with his grandparents, and he started consuming 15 hours of YouTube content a day. That's what he did. And he got so far down these rabbit holes he became brainwashed into certain ways of thinking. And then he started a YouTube channel and he grew it. And now he's a main influencer in the world. You see, we have to be aware that even though social media can be a place to get information, it's not always the right information because there's no journalistic integrity there. There's no one who really knows or has a proven fact system or fact checks for those things. They're saying what they want to say. They're th- saying their opinion. But they're able to gain a following. This is so important to understand that when you're on social media and you see something that has a headline, don't just automatically share that. That doesn't necessarily mean that that was written by someone that you would approve of. You don't know who wrote that. You don't know their credentials. You don't know where that, what rabbit hole that would lead someone else down. So we're so quick to share these things. And sometimes when you get into the article and see where it comes from, it came from some extreme left winger or some extreme right winger. Or even worse. So you have to be careful what we're sharing, what we're reading, what we're looking at, because we ourselves, this is what Paul's warning us, it's him talking, you're going to get down on a rabbit hole where you're listening, but you're not learning the truth. Always listening, but never learning the truth. 
And I'll be honest, you know, YouTube and Facebook these days, Google, they have a tough job. And I know a lot of conservatives think that they're, they're censoring a lot of right-wing uh, propaganda and trying to promote left-wing candidates, and I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole today, whether what side you're on, I, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say, though, that they have a lot of weird people starting YouTube channels and saying really messed up things. And so they're trying to do their best to monitor what people are saying so that people don't get harmed on their website. Now, I don't know, maybe, maybe they have an agenda, maybe they don't, but I'm just saying we live in a time where anyone can grab a mic, get on the line, and build an audience. And so we gotta be careful. We gotta know the truth, not just listen, but come to a knowledge of the truth of God's word. So Paul says that, hey, this is, this is what you should watch out for. Now in verse 10, he changes gears a little bit and he says this. He says, you, however, know all about my teaching and my way of life. That word know in the Greek literally means to follow alongside. And he's saying, Timothy, you have followed alongside of me. You followed alongside of Christ. You're not one of these people. Maybe Timothy was reading this and wondering, is he talking about me? Am I that person? And he's saying, you, you know me. You know my teaching. You know Christ. You know my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, suffering, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Right there, I'll just stop for a second. Those are three places he mentions in the book of Acts. I believe it's Acts 15. You can go back and read where he went in to these three places. And in Lystra, he was actually beaten and left for dead. He was persecuted that strong. Those people who came behind him to stir up trouble stirred it up. And he hasn't forgot that pain. But I love this. He says in verse 11, which I think is a verse that we all need to hear, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. He's quoting Psalm right here. He's quoting Psalm 34, 7. He's saying, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. You know what? That's why I don't fear what's happening right now. I really don't. I'm not scared of a November election, everybody. I'm not. I have total faith and confidence no matter what happens. Because I know that the Lord will rescue us all. My hope is not in a person. My hope is not in a country. My hope is in Jesus Christ and him alone, and he will rescue us from, us, from it all. Verse 12 says this. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being Deceived. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, 
That word, in Christ Jesus, when he says everyone in Christ Jesus, that doesn't mean everyone is a Christian or who calls themselves a Christian. It means those who are Christ followers. Those who abide and remain in Christ. Those who know him intimately. Those who choose to walk fully in his ways will be persecuted. There's a lot of people calling themselves Christians, a lot of people saying they have religious religion or faith, but then there's people who actually walk with Christ, who know him, know him personally, spend time in his word, spend time abiding in him. They know him. And if you know Christ personally, and you're trying to do some great things for his kingdom, you're going to get persecuted. It's gonna happen. You know, Jesus himself, he, he has that parable of the sower, where he talks about sowing seed and how only, if you sow 100% of seed out there, only 25% of the seed you sow will actually fall on solid ground and produce a crop. But the ones that do, out of that 25% that do fall on solid ground, it will produce such a big crop, it doesn't matter that about the other 75%. But he, he relates that to that's the amount of people who hear the word of God. Out of 100% of people who hear God's word, who hear the message of Jesus Christ, only 25% will really walk intimately with Christ. Only 25% will get to a place of abiding in him and doing something with their faith. See, that's, that's the goal. I think we forget that sometimes because sometimes we mix the American dream in with the gospel and it gets muddy a little bit there. But, but the goal is intimacy with Christ to make a difference in this world to bring God glory no matter what profession you're in. That's what we're all called to do. All of us are called to be a light. All of us are called to do something for the kingdom of God. He created every one of us with a unique purpose and he wants to use that purpose to reach people that others of us couldn't reach. That's why we're so unique. Intimacy with God leads to us being used by God. So when Paul says anyone who's in Christ will eventually be persecuted because you're gonna go out there and you're gonna lead people to Christ. Now, we live in America and for the last couple hundred years, you know, this country has such strong Christian roots. Literally, in the early meetings to establish this nation, they used the word of God. They established it on scripture. They established it in prayer. They had a prayer meeting at the very first, the first time they came together. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that our founding fathers were perfect people. Some of them may have had a form of godliness and denied its power. Our nation isn't perfect. We haven't always done the right things. In fact, we have some serious sins in our past that, have a, that we're paying the price for it today. All nations do. We're not the only one. But because it was founded on Scripture and on prayer, we have enjoyed a, a, a church on every corner. In fact, if you're not a Christian, if you're an atheist in this country, you're actually looked at like for a long time as a person's an atheist. 
We call ourselves a Christian nation. We, so we haven't known persecution, really. Sometimes we think we've known persecution, but we really haven't known persecution. In other parts of the world, they know persecution. The church in Iran knows persecution. And a revival's breaking out there right now, especially among the women there. Because persecution leads to revival. When the early church in the first century and second century, Paul's writing the time he's writing this to Timothy, revival was breaking out even though people were being burned at the stake for being a Christian. So sometimes the most intense times of persecution lead to the greatest revivals, yet we don't want to experience persecution. We want to fight for our right not to be persecuted. And I understand that. We've we've enjoyed that here. That doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. You know, the other day I was at the store and I was at a retail store and I bought something and they asked for my email address and I, I gave it to them and I was starting, it was pastorchris at gmail.com and, and I was giving them my email address and I saw the guy roll his eyes at me. Oh, you're one of those. A time might come where that happens, where we're persecuted for what we believe. It might But Paul says, hey, that's okay. You don't have to fight. (laughs) You don't have to get all bent out of shape about it. There might be a time that comes because anyone who really is intimate with Christ will eventually get persecuted. Anyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But he goes on to say in verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So what's important here to understand is once again, Paul is urging Timothy to study the scripture, to abide in Christ, to stay focused in on him and what he's assured of and convinced of through the word of God. Um, I, I honestly, so many of our problems as Christians, can I just say this one thing? So many of our problems as Christians would be completely solved if we look to God's word and his spirit before we put on the news or social media or you too. So many of our problems. All that anger that rises up, all the emotions that we have right now, if we just brought it to the Lord and got into his word and abided in him, so much of that would go away. And we'd have wisdom to actually have a conversation with a person who doesn't believe what we believe. And we'd know what to say. The Holy Spirit would give us wisdom. And that person might actually come to Christ instead of being more angry than when before they they talked to us. That's what we're missing, is the abiding in Christ. That's what Paul is telling Timothy is the most important thing you can do right now. In the last days, in tough times, the most important thing you can do is abide. Read the Holy Scriptures. Now, the scriptures he's talking, holy scriptures, were referred to the Old Testament, sacred writings, referring to the 39 books we have in the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, and the writings. And he was telling Timothy, study those because that's what led you to faith in Christ. That's what showed you your need for the Messiah. That's what showed you 
your need for a Savior. So powerful. You know, a Jewish boy would begin to study the Old Testament at the age of five years old. And Timothy was even younger when his mother Eunice and grandmother Lois began to teach him the scriptures. In fact, we know this because in 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul says this, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now also lives in you. He's got a heritage of godliness. But a heritage, if you look at the heritage, it's not religion. It's relationship. It's studying the scriptures. It's intimacy with God. It's abiding in Christ. That's the relationship. That's what's so important. Paul goes on to say that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the point of knowing the scripture and understanding that it's God-breathed, that it's inspired by God, being intimate with God, the point is to do this, so that every servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The point is to do something, Timothy. This is what Paul's telling him. Here's what you're going to see out there. You're going to see all kinds of craziness in the world. I want to tell you this is nothing new, everyone. Seeing people who are trying to lead people astray, people who don't believe in God, people who believe in these different things, that's nothing new. Paul, Paul, it was happening in Paul's day. People who had a form of godliness but denied its power. We're seeing it today. They saw it back then. It's nothing new. So he's saying, watch out for some of these people. And understand that times might get tough. You might be persecuted for your faith. But abide in Christ. Hold on to the scriptures. Study the word of God. You did it from the time you were five. You're continuing to do it. Don't lose sight because if you abide in Christ, if you stay in him, God will use you to change the world, Timothy. And that's the truth for all of us today. If we abide if we stay in Christ, if we stay in his word. He wants to use us to change the world. Not to fight the world, but to change the world. Big difference. A lot of us are ready to fight the world. But he wants to change the world. God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save it. We forget that. He wants to use us to do it. And Knowing how much to fight for what we believe in and how much to lay down is something that we're only going to learn through intimate moments with God leading and guiding us. We need that today more than ever. I want to close, just want to give a little story. A few years ago, my grandma got me this Apple Watch here. And she won it somewhere and thought it was just a watch. But once she found out how it was hooked up to your phone, she's just like, here, you take it. I don't want to do anything with it. And so I put this on. And, I, you know, at first I was like, 
it's kind of cool. I mean, it's, it tells the time, you know, and I can see text messages that come in and that's fine. But so I started to get into the fitness part of the Apple Watch and I saw that you could set a calorie goal for the day that you want to burn a certain amount of calories. You can set that goal. Um, you can also set a setting how many minutes a day you want to work out or exercise. And it calculates that as you're wearing the watch and how much you want to stand versus sit in a day. So you put these settings into your watch and then it encourages you every day to go after your goals. So you put your watch on, it tells you, hey, like right now it's telling me I have three minutes of exercise today and it's encouraging me. You need to step it up a little bit. Um, so this is, what it, this is what it does. But for a long time, I didn't really take that serious. Like it's my watch talking to me, right? So, okay, I'm, I'm still not going to exercise even though you're telling me to. And sometimes I wouldn't even put my Apple watch on. I'd forget to put it on during the day. And so it would remind me that I hadn't hit any of my goals for the week. <laughs> Thank you. Like I need another voice telling me that I'm not hitting my goals for a week. But then something changed. One of my coworkers, Tyler, our children's director, he got an Apple Watch. And he started showing me everything that it was capable of, like the, the goals and the exercise things and what you could actually do with it. And then he invited me to a fitness competition for the week. In fact, uh, all, a few of our friends and staff members who had watches, we all joined this social sharing of our fitness. So now you can see everyone's fitness. So it'll tell me, Tyler's going for a run right now. And then I'm like, whoa, he's going for a run. I should probably go for a run. <laughs> so it becomes a competition. And you begin to see people and how much they're exercising or not exercising. And this inspired me to hit my goals. So I'm going on a seven-day streak right now where I've hit all my, my fitness goals. I'm still losing to Tyler by 100 points right now. But I'll make it up. I'll make it up. But as I'm hitting these goals physically, I'm feeling better. I'm getting in better shape. You see, the whole time I had this watch, it was able to inspire me to have better fitness but I just didn't, I knew that, but I didn't really know that. But now the same watch that I just wore on my wrist to tell time, the same watch that I always had is actually helping me become in better physical shape. And I tell you that this morning because all of us have one of these, a Bible. All of us have one of these probably most of the time within 10 to 20 feet of where we're sitting. All of us also have a remote control. All of us also have a smartphone, most of us. And usually they're next to each other. And you're kind of going, eeny, meeny, miny, mo," right? Which, which one am I going to invest my time into today? And a lot of times we choose this. We put this away. We pick this up. 
We turn the TV on. We watch the news. We, we go to YouTube. We watch videos. We check our Instagram and social media accounts. And we get information there. And this just sits closed somewhere. But it's right there. It's right there. It's been there the whole time. And in it has the power to literally change our lives. The power to change how we think. The power to have intimate moments with Christ. The power to live according to what Paul instructed Timothy, abide in Christ and God will use you to change the world. It's sitting there and God uses the people who open it up, read it and get it deep down in their hearts. This is not just for pastors and teachers. This is for all of us. I was watching our midweek service last week and Chelsea Galley gave a word on Facebook and you know what I thought the whole time my wife and I are watching this? We're like, that is a woman who spends time with the Heavenly Father. She spends times with Jesus. You could tell. It was pouring out of her. It was oozing out scripture and wisdom and the power of God. I was inspired. I had to check myself. I said, I better, I better get in the word. It's right there. It's right there. Paul says, you've studied it since you were young. Don't abandon it now. Don't abandon it now. I'm telling you, church, right now, we need this more than we ever have. And, and, and let, me, let me tell you one thing. We don't need it as a weapon. We don't need to smack someone with it, okay? We need the truth and wisdom in it. We need the truth and wisdom in it. We need intimate moments with our Father. And if we have that, if we abide in Christ, if we do what Paul instructed Timothy to do, if we walk in that word, we will see a move of God. I'm not saying we won't see tough times. We might. We might see some hard times. But we don't have to fear because we have a God who rescues us from all his troubles, just like Paul said. We have a God who's there for us. We have a God that's for us. So be careful what you're listening to in this season. Be careful who you're listening to in this season. Get the truth of God's word in you. Get it deep inside of you. Allow it to change and transform you first. That's what Paul said to Timothy. Let it change you first. Then God will use you to change the world. It's got to change us first before we can change anything. Let it change and transform us. And then I know God will use each and every one of you who are intimately walking with him to be a light in this world for his glory. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that we have your word that we have the instruction from Paul to Timothy, that you gave us so much wisdom in that one chapter, God. 
so much wisdom on how to navigate our lives today in this one chapter that was written 2,000 years ago, Father. I thank you. That's the power of God. That's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's the, this is the only book that has that power to change lives 2,000 years after it was written, Father. I thank you for it. I thank you for the power in it. Father, I pray for everyone in this room, everyone who listens to this, everyone who's watching this, God, that they would allow this word to transform their lives, that they would abide in you. And Lord, as they abide in you, you would give them the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to go and change the world for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys as you go. Enjoy this beautiful day. Have a great one. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.